Welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark and I'm bald. <laughs> oh, that's good. That, that's going to fit right in what we're talking about today. Um, I want to show you a picture of the street that I grew up on. I want to show you a picture of the street that I grew up on. There it is. Um, think of the street you grew up on as a kid. Maybe it was a more rural setting. Maybe it was in a city, a different country. Uh, this is uh, my, my mother was just widowed, and uh, we bought this house, and um, the lower middle class area, either your, your young uh, parents with young kids or you're older and retired, but that's where I grew up on that street. I had so much fun there. Uh, all the kids from the, the neighborhood would always gather on the street in front of our house uh, to play. That's just what happened. That's what went down. In the, in the winter, it was road hockey. Oh, it's so much fun. I could hours upon hours upon hours playing road hockey in the winter right there on that road. And we had so much fun. I remember once, you can't see, but at the end of the road there, there's a hill that drops down, and up behind the trees, way at the end, there's another house, and that's where Rick lived, and, and uh, Rick would play hockey with us. And his mother would always call him around supper time. She didn't call him Rick. She said, Richard! Come home for supper. And Rick, you know, was oh, come on. All right. And Rick would have to wander off for supper. One day we were playing hockey in front of the house in the winter, and, and the call came, Richard, come home for supper. Only Rick wasn't there that Sunday, or that day. Well, I think it's Sunday. And so we thought, let's have fun with this. Let's answer for him. No. <laughs> Richard, what did you just say? I don't want to come home for supper. Richard, you went to your father and told you to be his own. Never saw Rick again. I don't know what happened to him. <laughs> but in the summer nights, we would gather here. Oh, so many wonderful, beautiful summer nights. And we would play hide and go seek. And the basic rules, you know the rules. If you were a kid and you had a home street you grew up on, uh, one player is it. And everyone else becomes the hiders. And the seeker, uh, the one who's looking, stands at home and covers their eyes. And, and home was a safe place. If you could get home, if you're hiding, you get to home but without getting tagged, you were safe. You were home free, we'd say. Home free! And home for us was here, this next slide, that, that telephone pole right there. It's, it's older than I am. It's still there. <laughs> I'm amazed. And um, home was the telephone pole. And, and the seeker would count to 10, right? And he was at this pole, his, his hands would be, his eyes would be covered. He'd say it loud enough so everybody could hear, because we're running around the houses, running around all the neighborhood. He'd say it loud enough, and we'd get to 10. At this point, the rest of us are hiding, scrambling to find a good spot. And he would count to 10, he would say, ready or not, here I come. And that was the cue to stop. Don't move. His eyes are open. He may come find us. Because if you're found, then you are caught. And you, the first person caught would have to be it for the next time. All the hiders would stop. But if you could run home without getting tagged, you were home free. 
In today's message, we're going to see how in life we all begin as hiders. And we hide from God. We hide from others. And we do not want to be discovered or founded out. So we stay hidden in the spot we picked for ourselves. In today's message, we're going to see how we begin life as hiders. And Jesus said, well, you know what? God is this, we are to not be hiders, but we are to be seeking God. And God wants to be found. And Jesus said this in the Bible, seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. If you seek God, you're going to find him. He wants to be found. Jesus did not say seek or hide. Hide and you'll be found. It doesn't work that way. So we start as hiders, but God says, I want you to become seekers because you will find me. In the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous of ever sermons, Jesus gave us these eight areas in our life where he said, I will bless you in these situations, in these areas. In each one of these areas, um, uh, we don't necessarily want to seek out for ourselves. They're not, you know, the kind of the things we wake up and say, I'm hoping this happens to me today. And some of those things are, we try to avoid them, in fact. And um, Jesus says, blessed those who are persecuted. We don't want to be persecuted. Uh, we don't want to... Uh, uh, be uh, uh, without peace. And he says, blessed are those that, 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 find, that seek justice and have peace and live a pure life. And, and the common thread through all these eight statements, Jesus says, you'll be blessed. You're going to find blessing from God if you do seek peace. Maybe it's easier for you to live in trouble. To seek to be pure, maybe you feel like um, it's easier to live in sin. To be merciful when you don't want to give mercy. To, to be meek, we don't want to be meek, to be humble and so on. And the very first of these eight choices God says to us, Jesus says to us, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And in a lot of your Bibles it will say, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what does Jesus mean when he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit? Well, Jesus is not talking about physical poverty, there's no blessing in physical poverty. He's talking about spiritual poverty. When one recognizes their own spiritual need and put themselves in a position saying, God, I need you. I need what you give me. I'm poor and I can't do this on my own. I need you. Jesus says, blessed are you. And you realize that because you're going to be filled. The king of heaven is yours. Well, who, who, is the, who are the spiritually poor? Who are those being blessed by God? And this is the underlying theme of this whole message is this. The poor in spirit are those who humbly admit, I need help. I can't do this without God. I've tried. I failed. I need help. And my spiritual poverty is my sinfulness. It's where I recognize my helplessness, my hopelessness without God. And this is where I'm ready to recognize my need for him in my life because I'm poor. I realize it. I can't receive that blessing. I so much want from God until I admit and recognize I need him. I need him. I need you, Lord. God does not want to be seen just as a temporary help in a temporary crisis. And I say that because I've been very mindful of how it's very common for us when, when we experience crisis, when people experience crisis in their life, they will suddenly realize their need for God. They, they, they can't fix things on their own, so they're ready to say, God, help me in this relationship. Help me in this financial disaster, this health problem. Suddenly they, they go to church. 
Suddenly they start praying more. However, when the crisis passes, when the trouble subsides, they go back to, I can kind of do this on my own without him. And it's sad because people do this, they don't realize they are spiritually poor. Their greatest need is more than just a physical crisis. When people don't see how much, how poor they are without God, they don't seek God. They don't seek the greater need in our life, which is this. I need to admit this. I'm broken. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. There are areas which, which matter much to me in life. Areas like my health and, and our relationships and our financial situation and our careers. They matter much to me. They matter much to you. But they can't matter most. What matters most is my spiritual condition. I remember, I think I've told you this before, I remember um, a friend of mine was the president of our school, Ambrose, out in Calgary. And I remember he was coming to town where I lived and said, Mark, can you pick me up at the airport? So I did. And, and we're driving along. And I never forgot this conversation. You know, you have those conversations in your life that the God goes, remember this. This sticks out to you. And this college president was telling me that um, he visits many churches. That's part of his job, to go into churches and visit them on behalf of the, the college. And he said to me in the car, I can still remember the street. I could take you right there where he said this. He said, um, if, he said, if, I, if someone came to church today, whenever church he's visiting, and they knew nothing of Christianity, right? They're coming. They know nothing about salvation, about Christianity. And they listened to what we pray for in our church. What would they conclude mattered most to us? Not mattered much, but mattered most to us. And he said to me, Mark, based on the many visits I've made to churches and my role as college president, I would have to conclude that what mattered most to us as a church was our physical health. The prayers which were given when a pastor or people would pray or speak to God, that when they would talk about what really troubled them, it was not primarily about the spiritual condition of this world or of their family, or of their lives. It wasn't the spiritual condition, but it was the physical condition. And said so the prayers of the people seemed to be dominated with pleas for God to help people to feel better physically, face sickness or surgery. And that matters. But that's not the message that we're trying to get out that matters most. Physical needs matter, but as believers and followers of Jesus, we know there's a greater need. His observation never left me, and I, I confess, every time I feel sick, I, I'm praying God, praying hard, Lord, just, just deliver me from this and you know, help me to get over this. I want the change, this to be changed, and I'm sure you pray that way as well, because it matters a lot to me. It matters much to me. It matters much to you, but I also realize it cannot be what matters most in my life. I know my body will fail me one day. and It'll beyond, be beyond repair. But the real essence of my life is not this body, but is the soul which it contains, which is eternal. That matters most. My body is like that dot I put on the wall of many weeks ago that represents our life here now. And this whole room would be eternity. My dot, is I can't even see it from here, is that finite, that small. It's like a mist, the Bible says. It's like a, a withering plant, the Bible says. But my soul is all of this. 
everything else. It's eternal. This is how the Bible describes it. We read this in Corinthians. Our human bodies made from dust must be changed into a body that cannot be destroyed. That's the soul. So this body, human bodies made from dust must be changed into a body that cannot be destroyed. That's the eternal soul. Our human bodies that can die must be changed into bodies that will never die. That's the soul. The poor in spirit are those who humbly admit, I need help while we're in that dot. Spiritual help, only God can give me. And secondly, I need to admit that my secrets make me sick. That's part of hiding. We are spiritually poor, we are spiritually poor, but we, we stay spiritually poor because we hide. We don't want to expose our, our sins, which, which make us sick. Listen to what King David said. David was, he was a great king, a great man after God's own heart. He was also a great sinner who had to receive great mercy. And he's very transparent. And I love David. He says this in Psalm 32. When I kept quiet about my sin, my bones wasted away from me, away from, from crying all day long. Wasted away from crying all day long. For, night, for day and night, your hand, God, was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the hot summer. I told my sin to you. I did not hide my wrongdoing, I said. I will tell my sins to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is a person just like you and I. I know we read him in the Bible. I know we put him up on this elevation, this plateau, but he's just like you and I. And he says, when I kept quiet about my sin, I got sick. I wasted away. My, my strength was dried up. And I, I wonder if you ever realized that there may be a correlation between sickness in your life and tiredness in your life and the sins that you hide. If you're tired all the time and you're frustrated all the time and you've you got all these problems, perhaps you need to look and say, what secret sins are you holding on to inside in your life? Why? Because my secrets make me sick. When I get them out, when I'm honest about them, transparent about them, when I'm open about them, when I choose to be humble, confess them, and confess them, I begin becoming better. God, you forgive me the guilt of my sin. See, friend, hiding never works. I want you to listen closely to this. When you hide a sin, it increases. It, 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 gets, it gets worse in your life, not better. The more you hide it, the more it increases. When you hide a fear, it intensifies, and the fear gets worse and worse. When you hide a hurt, that memory, it imprints upon your mind, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. Hiding never works. Hiding a sin, hiding a fear, it only intensifies in your life. So I want to ask you today this important question. What are you pretending right now not to be a problem? I got this. I'm not spiritually poor. I got this. You're trying to fake it, and you think you'll make it, but really you're going to break it. I know not only rhymes as true. My secrets make me sick, which leads to this point. I must admit it to defeat it. Also rhymes. I, I can't work on my sins in my life until I'm willing to admit the sins in my life. I can't work on the hurts in my life until I'm willing to admit there are hurts in my life. I can't work on the fears until I admit there are fears in my life. 
I must admit it to defeat it. Listen to this in Proverbs. People who conceal their sins, that's what we're talking about, will not prosper. Will not prosper. But if they confess, if they're open, if they come out of hiding and turn from them, they will receive mercy. We need that. I mean, some of us are, are so sick and tired and tired and miserable and frustrated because we're hiding. And we just need to say, God, I'm spiritually poor. Forgive me. Help me. Come as you are and receive mercy. Why should that matter to me, those words? Because though, that's God speaking to you today. That is God's truth to you. And the Bible says, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. You're not hiding. It will set you free. I was thinking this week about how sin makes you tired and takes all your energy and zaps you and, and um, you know, how it just takes so much of your time and, and you're, you, that you can't focus on the good things because you're worried about covering up the bad things and hiding. I remember being at a conference once years ago, coming down to the, from the hotel to check out, and there's a man in front of me, a businessman, <clears throat> and... Um, he was uh, settling his bill, and he was horrified because on his bill were some movies that he's watched. I said, can I just pay for those separately? I don't want my work to find out that I'm watching. And they said, no, we have to send the bill into your workplace, your employer, because they're paying for this. But I can't do this separately. No, you can't. And then look, he was horrified, realizing, I'm going to be found out. I, I was up there probably doing something I shouldn't have done, and now my employer's going to find out this truth because they can't separate it. I remember him frustrated and horribly feeling uh, just exasperated because he realized spending all this energy and time covering up something, trying to cover up something, trying to separate him from, from what, he was, what he, he was sitting in. And I just thought if he hadn't have done that, he would walk out this day smiling and skipping, nothing to worry. That's what sin is like for us. We, we just, it, just, it just takes our energy, our time, trying to cover it up, trying to fake it, trying to not to be found out. It's true, my secrets make me sick. Then we don't confess them, we are not free. And what keeps us from confessing them? Well, this, it's my pride and fear which keeps me stuck in my mess. Our pride is what keeps us stuck where we are. We, we don't want God and people to see who we really are, so we hide and we cover just like Eddie did uh, with his uh, chin strap uh, toupee wig. The problem is as old as man back in the beginning of the Bible. Remember Adam and Eve sinned. And when God comes down after the sin, what, what do we read? We heard this. Adam saying, I heard you walking in the garden, God, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. That's the first fear we come across. The fear of being discovered, of exposure. Adam covered himself up. And we're all like that. I'm afraid that someone's going to find out what I'm really like on the inside. And Adam said, I was afraid, so I hid, I was naked. And that's what we feel. Sin has made me vulnerable. It makes, it makes me feel naked, so I hide. It's sin that keeps us from getting well, from keeping healthy, from getting whole, from growing, from becoming unstuck. And we fear others will, will think of us, what they fear, what we, the, they find, if, what we think, I'm sorry, what they will think of us. I get too excited sometimes. Just get, go, 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 go. Slow down, Mark. 
but we want we fear what they'll think of us if they found out about the struggle that I am carrying on. So we hide from God. We hide from others. And here's the ironic thing. We all look at one another having the same fear. He thought it was just you. I wish that we could throw pride aside and, and fear aside, just come to one another and say, you know, I struggle. I struggle with anger. I, I struggle with lust. I struggle with greed or selfishness or an eating disorder or judging or whatever. And we just accept, we come as we are, realizing we're the same people with different struggles. And then once we're open about them with one another, we begin to help one another in our confession of what we would want to become and need to become with the power of Jesus. Once it's out there, we're no longer hiding. Healing can come. But our pride, our fear of judgment, our fear of shame keep us from doing that. We go around wearing these emotional fig leaves or chin-strap toupees but say, I will not let you see who I really am. So nothing changes. Nothing grows. The problem with hiding is we feel very isolated. We, we feel very alone. And when we're afraid to be known with our spiritual warts and all, we, 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 just, we just, I just will not engage others. And you become very lonely that way. Enemies convince you it's just you. So go hide. And the irony is we're all the same. You're not unique in your struggle. I heard a story this week. Man, such a sad story about loneliness. A man who was lonely. When I was out in Sherwood Park this week at our assembly in, uh, in, outside of Edmonton, I had supper one night. Glenda's sister and, and brother and, and our brother-in-law lived there. And uh, Rick is my brother-in-law. We get along so well. Rick is an actor. Um, he has uh, one, he plays roles. Uh, I just put some pictures up of Shanghai Noon with um, Charlie Chan and um, Owen Wilson on the, on the left. And on the side of that, he's Stumpy and Heartland, that TV series with CBC. And down below is with Tim Curry, another actor. And, um, he's saying there's, he's sharing me this, this last Thursday night uh, about a man that he had worked for who uh, wanted to make movies and Rick would produce them for him. And this man was very well off. He was very well off. Made, Rick made five movies before. But he was very lonely. All, he had no family, no wife, no family. He had two other brothers and there was really no love there I, that, I, that I can understand. And I felt this man had so much, so much potential. He was so lonely, kept to himself. And Rick was telling me that um, he died, this lonely man who never opened up. And at, he was invited to the funeral, just he and his two brothers. And the funeral consisted of his body laying in a cord cardboard box outside the fire. And they're standing there and one of somebody Rick said, Well, do we say anything? Does anything want to say before we, you know, put this dear man into the fire? And 
One of the brothers said, well, I don't know. Like the last thing that he said to me before he died was, he said, you know, I'm such a failure. I'm such a failure. I failed. How sad was that? But how much sadder it was when his brother looked down and said, I told him, you're right. You're a failure. And then he died. And he put the body in the flames. And Rich said, I had to run out crying with emotion. It overwhelmed me so much. And the other two brothers couldn't understand why. I got to think about these words, how all of us are in that place. We have much or little on earth. We have great health or bad health. Little or much, we, all of us come to this place. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The, the dot's going to be gone. Sooner than you think. I had a, a cousin that I grew up with, my age, just couple, I saw him one Monday, just a couple weeks ago, next, you know, next week he was gone. Grew up with him, went to high school with him, lived with his family. Couldn't believe it. Just remind me of that dot. I spoke to him about eternity. Confess it. Stop pretending. Stop trying to hide the fact you need God, you need him, you need him more than what this kingdom of earth has to give. You desire and want and need the kingdom of heaven. But you got to stop hiding. You know, in hide and seek, we, we run to hide, not wanting to be found. And our pride, as we said, keeps us from hiding. Our fears keep us from being known and discovered. But it also keeps us in a place of very, feeling very abandoned and very much alone. We choose to hide and, and hide behind the fig leaves instead of stepping out and seeking God and others. Help. This is who I am. They're going to tell you, me too. Let's get together as a church and work this out. We read earlier, Manu read for us from 2 Corinthians. Paul describes a very difficult time in his life. He says, we think you ought to know, he says, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed by our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. Maybe didn't realize there was a point when Paul thought, this is it. I'm going to kick the bucket. Everything's gone. There was a time in a life when he said, I faced so much trouble. I was so discouraged, so depressed. I was ready to give up. That was it. And then he goes, he says this, but as a result of this, we stopped relying on ourselves. Recognize my spiritual poorness. In other words, I saw how powerless I was to help my, ourselves. That's what, I, that's what we're talking about today. Paul realized he was poor in spirit. He's saying, I don't have the power to change life on my own. In fact, in this world, it doesn't always look that great. I'm spiritually poor, but I need God, and he will carry me through. It's true, this statement, you don't know God is all you need, so God is all you've got. Have you ever got there yet? You still try to say, yeah, I kind of got, you know, I, got, I can do this on my own, and sometimes I have to bring God in for some counseling, some help, and then and go away again. Have you ever got to a place that God, you don't know God is all you need in this life, at the very foundation 
until you realize that's all you have, really. I like to paraphrase the 2 Corinthians 1, 9, the Living Bible. It says, Paul says, we saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good, being spiritually poor, he's saying. For then we put, on, we put everything in the hands of God, who alone can save us, for he can raise the dead. Now, what else can raise the dead? Well, really, honestly, what can else raise the dead? Do you think matters most in your life? That banks can't do it, governments can't do it, sports can't do it, relationships can't do it, jogging hard enough can't do it. If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead marriage. If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead career. If God can raise the dead, he can raise a dead dream. If God can raise a dead person, he can raise a dead church. Anybody can bring good out of good. Anybody can do that. But only God can bring good out of bad. He specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. So I want to ask God, help me. I can't do this on my own. I'm ready to stop hiding and step out. Notice Paul says we couldn't help ourselves. We put everything in the hands of God. Circle that word everything in your sermon notes or if you circle in your Bible. Just circle that word everything because that's total surrender. It's not partial surrender like, oh, you know, I'm having trouble with my finances, so I'm going to ask God to help me for just, you know, just in this area. You know, we're to give him all in our life. Everything doesn't mean like my work life's messed up, so I'm going to help, him. help me in my work life, God. No, you've got to give him everything. All of your life. It's a total surrender. You put everything, Paul says, into his hands. And you go back to the beginning of the message. We said God does not want to be just a temporary help and a temporary crisis. He wants us to be six, Matthew 6.33. It says, seek the kingdom of God. What above all else? Make that's what matters most. I know there's a lot of things that matter. But matter, seek the kingdom of the God above all else and live righteously. And God will give you everything else that matters much if he matters most. I wonder if you've done that. If you have got that place in your life where you say, everything in my life, the good, the bad, the ugly, the stinking, the rotten, the happy, the sad, the ups, the downs, just put it all in your hands, God. Here I am. If you do this, you'll never be able to say what that wealthy mover maker said at the end of his life. I'm a failure. I thought if I just made movies, I would be happy. I would find out. No, it didn't work. You don't have to die this way. Because you don't have to live this way. The Bible says, it's not in your notes, but I just thought of this, this this morning, but it says in 1 John 5, 4, for every child of God defeats this evil world. Every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. You can live with the assurance of victory when you humble yourself when you admit your need for help. God, I need you. And that's a challenging, difficult step, but there's one that's probably even more difficult for you to make. It's this, I must humbly accept help from other people. See, God has wired us in such a way that we don't get well by ourselves. Uh, let, let, let me very, be very transparent and blunt with you. You know that habitual sin that you would like to get rid of in your life or that temptation? That defect, that fault, that fear, that worry, that, that loneliness, whatever it is that just is messing you up all the time, it's always there. You never get rid of it on your own. 
This is probably one of the most important things I'm going to say in this message. Think about this. If you could fix it on your own, you would have, but you can't, so you won't. Oh, I can do this. I'll, someday I'll get better. Someday I'm going to do this and get over this. And it's just the right timing. I'm taking reading this book. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, and I fail, 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 fail. If you could fix that on your own, you would have done it by now if it was just up to you. Because you wanted to get over it. But you can't, so you won't. You need others. God and others. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes. You know the verse Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend helps him up. That's, that's the recovery, the help that we're talking about. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. We need one another. 58 times in the New Testament, it uses the phrase one another. Love one another. Care for one another. Help one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, support one another, counsel one another. That's one of the reasons we have this church. Because we need one another. I need you. I do. And we're not meant to do life alone. We're, we're never meant to go through life as the lone ranger. You're, in, you're never meant to face problems and your sins by yourself. God didn't say go hide and you'll find. We need each other. We have a longing for belonging. Boy, a lot of rhyme in this message today, but I like it. We're not just believers, we are belongers. That'd be a great name for a church. We are to help, honestly, help each other out. And as long as you choose to hide, you're not going to get better. If you could, you would have done it by now. God wired us in such a way that we get well in community. You've heard me say, I, I've shared this before, but um, you know, we, we know that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And I told you, I once bought a book. I usually read a book a little bit and I'm looking at it, but I once bought a book just on the title, because the title was, It Takes a Church to Raise a Christian. I thought, that's great. That's true, so I bought it without reading it. And, and, and I can't get to where I need to be and where I want to be without you in my life. We're not just believers, we are our belongers. And church is not just Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. You know that, right? If you want a true picture of what the church looks like, then I, I just love going back to the source of the Bible. And God says, Mark, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. I, I've just been thinking so much of Acts 2.42 recently. Where it said all the believers, not just some, you know, just some who are, all the believers devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship. That's doing life together, not potlucks. And sharing meals, which is important, including the Lord's Supper, which we'll be doing in just a few moments. And the prayer. I love how we start in prayer in that room at 9 o'clock. Quotes us, sets us in the direction. We do this together. We come as community and we pray. All these areas are areas where together we devote ourselves to growing in Jesus and growing in life. And there's an outcome that takes place. This is why we do this. This is why I'm excited about Acts 2.42. Because it says when the believers did this, all believers did this, and this was the church, this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. This, a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. 
They met together in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. That's what I'm aiming for. All the believers devote themselves. Come as you are. Confess. Be healed. Grow. There's, I, I, let me get an announcement. I don't know what the announcement is going to be fully. But some of you heard me talk. And this fall, I'm going to, I want to add, offer a pastor's master's class. And I'm not even sure what it's going to look like. I've been praying about this and asking God all the, for, for many months about this. But it's going to be on the book of Nehemiah. I know that. And I know it all began when I heard a, a pastor say about this whole, what we've been going through the last few years. He said, the church is not reopening, we are rebuilding. And that's what happened in Nehemiah's day. People were taken away in exile out of their home and to live in Babylon. They didn't want to, just like we were taken away and they lived in COVID, we didn't want to. But and 70 years later, when these people in Babylon, the king said, you know what, you can go back now. And some people went, you know what, I kind of like it here. I'm kind of used to this life now, and then I think I'll just stay. Became apathetic, disobedient. And it says a remnant, that's the word God gave me for this year before he knew this was happening. A remnant came back and said, we're going to start rebuilding. Out of the ruins. I just feel I've, that I've, I've been looking and working upon a pastor's, master's rebuilding class. And it won't be for everybody. It, I mean, if it sounds like a good idea, I want you more than I want you to be devoted. And it's going to be people who maybe for six or seven weeks and I'll be there. I'm going to do the homework. There's homework. I'm not going to say no because, well, there's a hockey game on tonight or I'm too tired or I uh, just don't, you know, I, I, my wife made lasagna for supper. That would be my excuse. I'm going to be there. I'm committed to this. I know it won't be for everybody. It might be for one. It might be for two. Maybe no one. But uh, six or seven weeks to look at, I need to rebuild my marriage. I need to rebuild this part of my life. I want to rebuild our church. I just want God to come in. I want to be open. And I'm going to be not teaching it. I'm a student with you. We're going to let the Bible be the teacher. And we're going to be transparent and open. And we're going to build something for the power and for the glory of God. I'm going to close with this. I thought of this as we were praying this morning. So good God is. I remember back when I was a young person. I'm 60 now, you know. You know that. I'm old. But I remember back, I'd, I'd be a teenager. And it was at a church at 1875 Shepherd Avenue in Downsview, Ontario. It was Emmanuel Church in Nazarene where we as a district would go to every Thanksgiving and Easter for these rallies. And Glenda would have been at many of those. And I remember as a young kid, a preacher saying a word that never, never left me that I want to share with you today. And that's the thing. Sometimes you'll leave here today and go, no, 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 nothing. But sometimes God just goes, you know what? You've got to get this. And the preacher stood up and he, and he read this scripture that you will know and you have heard. It's when Jesus is calling Peter, and say, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter. I'm going to build this church, this fellowship, this devotion to prayer, and, and, to, and to all of what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to call, I'm going to build it on you. And then God said these words. 
I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16:18. And he spoke about a paradigm that, that we need to switch in our life. We sometimes think hell will never overcome us. But he's saying, no, you church are on the offensive and you, hell will not be able to stand up against you. The gates of hell will not prevail. Have you ever seen somebody, somebody go into war carrying a gate to fight? You don't go, hey, I'm going to charge you with my gate. The gates of hell are defensive. And God's saying, church, hell will not be able to stand against you when you are devoted to these things. When you get serious about these things. When you start becoming the church, even hell will not be able to stand up. They'll put gates up and they cannot stand against it. It's a defensive weapon. We are on the offensive. We are being the church. We're not shrinking and hiding from the hell thing. These gates can come with us with their gates. No. They're hiding behind gates because we are the church. That's what I wanted us to be. And sense and awe came over us all. And many miracles and signs and wonders were done because we met together. We prayed together. We gave together. We worshiped together. We ate together. We did the Lord's Supper together. We did all these things together. We're not hiding. I'm not trying to be, oh, I'm up here and you're down here. Or look at you. Like, no, we're all equal. Amen? I don't need to say that very much. I'll do it one more time. Amen? All right. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.